slide? That's the first slide? Isn't there one ahead of it? I typed one. That's it. Okay, I just changed the wrong one. Five tri traits that define a Super Bowl team and a Super Bowl Christian. They are desire, discipline, commitment, sacrifice, and character. Now, we find these traits in two passages of Scripture. The first is in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone competes in, in the games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Nor, no, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, for you wondering what in the world he's talking about, we know what running aimlessly is, but like a man batting the air, that's kind of like a shadow boxer, you know? They're just, they're fighting, but they don't have anybody they're actually hitting. So, if you're wondering what that was, I know that most of us probably knew that, but just in case you didn't. Now, Paul was referring to the games that was held in every two years in Corinth. And these games actually is what turned into our modern-day Olympics because we love the Olympics, don't we? Especially when we win gold medal. We love that. But that's where they derive from. Now, these athletes, they competed for a crown made of leaves for money and fame. Now, this was a big deal back then, a bigger deal than an Olympic gold medal is today. Because uh, they never had to pay taxes the rest of their life if they won. Wouldn't that be something? Never had to pay taxes the rest of your life. <laughs> and they got a lot of money, and of course they got fame. They were very, very well respected just for winning a race. A race that comes around every two years. The Super Bowl comes around every year. So... Two years from now, they won't, we don't care about who, who played in the game today, unless it happens to be the same teams. But that's hard to do. But anyway, that's what they were competing for. Now, Paul was encouraging Christians to compete for a prize with a, a lot more significance and value. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 is the second scripture. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to hold, press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers, I do, do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straighting towards the mark ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was pressing on for another kind of crown, an everlasting crown. And not only that, he wanted other people to do the same thing. See, Paul wasn't selfish at all. Most people today, it's, you know, I'm going to do this for me, for me, for me, so I can win fame, so I can win money. That's the, what the world we live in today. But Christians overall aren't like that. 
they would not only want to win the, win the crown themselves, but they want other people to win it as well. Because we are in our own individual Super Bowl. It isn't a collective Super Bowl that only one person can win. Everyone in here can win a, their personal Super Bowl. We just got to understand how to do it. Of course, if we're close to Christ, we don't need to worry about it because he'll tell us. The first trait of a Super Bowl Christian or a Super Bowl athlete actually is desire. Now, Paul ran to win because God didn't, doesn't give participation trophies. How many people know that? I know the world we live in, they don't want to hurt the poor little feelers of our little, little charming little darlings growing up that they give them a participation trophy. What does that teach a kid? It teaches them it doesn't matter what you do, you get the same prize. So where is the, the desire to want more or do more, to win more, to, to do more than what you need to do in order to win? There is none. If you're going to get the same trophy, why bother? They did a survey years ago. I don't have the, I didn't know I was going to say this, so I don't have the notes about it. But years ago, a professor decided he was going to teach people about liberalism and participation trophies. So he told the whole class, he says, from now on, I'm going to grade on the curve. Whatever, we're going to take all the scores of everybody and divide it up among how many people are in this class, and whatever that average is, everybody's going to get. Now, the people that got A's in the class or B's in the class were very upset about this because they didn't want that kind of a scoring system because it hurt them. After the first week, the average kind of ended up being a B. But then after that, the next time around, they took tests. Then all of a sudden, the people that used to strive to get A's decided, what's the big deal? I'm not going to do this anymore. So then the whole class dropped to a C. The next time they did it, they, did it, they all got a D. And by the next time, everybody flunked. Because when you run a society on the participation trophy values, or everyone, have you, have you heard this, redistribution of wealth? You heard that lately? If they want to redistribution, redistribute wealth, pretty soon everybody's going to take their money somewhere else. And we'll end up back where we were before. All the companies will be leaving America again. Because why in the world do they want to live in a country where their efforts are not rewarded? They say, well, they don't need a $50 million or $50 billion. I don't care how much money they make, because the more they make, the more they hire people to do jobs. And that's what spurs the economy. Not everybody getting a participation trophy. That teaches people nothing. That teaches you how to fail and how not to work hard. And God wants us to work hard as believers. We don't get a trophy for participating. You don't get a trophy for just showing up for church this morning. Does God look at being faithful? Sure he does. And we'll be rewarded for faithfulness. <clears throat> so, but Paul encouraged Christians to compete for a prize with lasting significance. 
Now, the greatest desire of the Super Bowl Christian is to be close to Jesus. We call that being Christ-like. Now, in this verse, it says, where is it at? Uh, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. God doesn't want us looking back. He wants us to look forward. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. We all have a past. And we all have a future. But we get to decide what our future is going to look like. We can't decide what our past is going to look like because it's gone. And that's why in our vehicles, the windshield takes the whole front end of the car and the rearview mirror is just a little tiny thing hanging there. Because we're not supposed to be looking forward, looking back, we're supposed to look forward. We need to know what's going on behind us. That's why it's there. And sometimes we need to look backwards and see where God brought us from. But we don't need to live our life back there because we cannot change our past. That Virginia governor cannot change his past. He has to own it and go forward. God's forgiveness has no limits, but our forgiveness does. We live in a society that is so upside down that they don't know which ends up. And they worry about what happened in our past. That's why if you're going to run for office, you better have a run... uh, have a great researcher researching your past because it's going to come out. If you said one bad thing or one racial slur in your whole entire life, they're going to find it. Now, when I grew up, they, and African Americans were called by different names. And they weren't, anyway, we didn't consider them racist. That's just what they called. They were called. That was their nationality. Well, we can't do that anymore. So if they look in my past, they're going to find some times when I use those words. Not because I had any negativity towards that group of people, but because that was what their nationality was. If you checked a box on anything, that was what was there. But they can bring that out and bring it forward and say, see, I'm a racist. Because what I said 45, 50 years ago, that's the last thing I was, especially uh, towards African-Americans. My favorite doll going up was an African-American doll. Of course, that isn't what it's called in my baby book. You know, so if anybody get a hold of my baby book, they're going to call me a racist. <laughs> call my mother a racist. And my favorite, my closest friends were... Of course, I always had boys who were usually my closest friends. And he was a, what do they call them now? Got to say the right terminology. Mexican-American. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? We have, to, we have to go through this game. Because if we don't, we're going to offend somebody. And I'm against, you know, I don't want to offend somebody on purpose, so I, I'll try to make the effort. But we got to make a decision that it's, it's getting to be Ridiculous. This political correctness is ruining our nation. So we need to throw it out. Because there are very few people in this country that are racist. Very few. And yet, if you opened and looked at your news or newspaper or watched TV, you'd think everyone is. But there are just as many racists on the other side of the fence as there are on this side. But they don't bring that up. 
There's more black people killing black people than there are white people killing black people. That's a fact. That doesn't make him a racist. That just makes him a murderer in a lot of cases, or self-defense or whatever scenario. Can't judge everything. But this desire to be Christ-like should compel us and propel us to run with all that we have. Now, too many believers never make it too far after the starting gate. They start the game. They're in on the first play, but that's it. Then they say, oh, coach, take me out. This game's too rough. I just want to sit on the bench. And if you win, I want my participation trophy because I played one, one play. But it doesn't work like that in our individual Super Bowl where there's no bench. We're in the game. Sure, we're going to fumble the ball. Sure, we're going to throw some incomplete passes. You say, oh, you can't, wait a minute. We can't, are we, we're going to fumble the ball because we're a quarterback or because we're the running back? Actually, we're the quarterback, and the Holy Spirit is the one whispering in our ears, you know, like the ghost from sideline. So we don't need to worry about that. We just need to go on to the next play. That's what they say about great quarterbacks. Great quarterbacks have short memories. They forget about the interception they just threw and went back to play in their game. Vince Lombardi said the difference between a, sexual, a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. That's the difference. Now, Paul had the desire, had that desire. He was the Vince Lombardi of the early Christianity, and he wanted to win. But desire only takes shapes when it, it's accompanied by discipline. Now, all of us would like to lose weight, except for Trevi. She wants to gain it. And we pray for her to gain it, you know. And, um, but we'll never lose weight if we don't have discipline. We have to put down our fork and our spoon. I had this picture on Facebook that I posted that had a picture of a fork that it said on it, diet fork, and it only had one prong. And the diet spoon was a spoon with a hole in it. If those were your eating, to eating utensils, you'd sure lose a lot of weight. <laughs> so the second trait of a Super Bowl Christian is discipline, which is the fuel of success. Now, we could be the prettiest car in the showroom, but without gas, we're useless. God doesn't want pretty showroom Christians. He wants people that have a desire, have discipline, that'll make them go one more day, one more hour, one more minute, no matter how hard it is. Without discipline in this Christian life, we'll never grow. But we will become easy prey for Satan. That's another reason to draw close to Christ, because then it's harder for Satan to get get at us because we more or less look leave it in the rearview mirror and look forward because we're all going to make mistakes i'm not going to say everything perfect all the time even when i'm preaching if i hurt your feelings in something that i say that isn't god i apologize if it's god i won't if you're convicted then it's god 
So you can't blame me, blame God. But sometimes I put my foot in my mouth and I say things that I regret. And sometimes I don't even think about it until later on. I think, did I really say that? I can't believe it. And then sometimes I have to come back the next week and apologize, which you know I have done on occasion. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7b. I got all those all messed up, do I? Looks like I do. Oh, okay. okay. Train yourself to live a godly life. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tale. Rather, train yourself to be godly. I had it shortened in my notes, but... Anyway, we need to train ourselves to live a godly life. We aren't born godly. We have to train ourselves to be that way. We have to train ourselves to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. We have to train ourselves to listen to the Holy Spirit in our ears to do what's right. It doesn't come naturally. Our natural self is not good. It isn't toward doing good things for God. It's for doing good things for ourselves. And that isn't what God wants. A bodybuilder who wants to add muscle to his body, he has to train hard. And every time to get stronger, he adds more weight to it all the time to get stronger. If he just lifts one five-pound weight all the time, man, that five-pound weight is going to get pretty easy after a while. That's why they go to a 10-pound weight, to get stronger. And as you get older, in case you didn't know it, you lose muscle mass. I have a lot of muscle that I have lost. And us ladies know about it more than guys do because we go like this and we have, we have these wings that propel us. And sometimes those wings are so long they hit you in the face when you're trying to do something. Guys don't get it so much, but us ladies do, don't we? That's why when you get older, all of a sudden we go from short sleeve to long sleeves to hide our chicken wings. I'm surprised sometimes I don't fly. <laughs> but if we were disciplined and exercised and lifted weights, that would change. And those, those chicken wings would shrink because they'd start turning into muscle again. But as we get older, we get lazier. Of course, we're more active when we're younger. As I was telling my husband yesterday, I says, when we were young, we were more active. We didn't really have to do a lot of stuff. We was either outside playing or we worked. But when you get older, we don't do that so much. And of course, I don't, we don't, we're retired now. But I put in many years of working, and I worked hard jobs. And those hard jobs is what's the reason that I have the problems that I'm having today. Because I didn't want to live my life on welfare. I wanted to be able to support my family, and I did. And that meant working hard. It meant beating up this body. Because, you know, we're just not designed to do certain things. But I did it anyway, because I needed a job that paid a lot of money. And so that's why I worked hard jobs and and made more money, because I refused to sit home and do nothing. Now, there are people that need that. I'm not condemning anybody that's there. If you need the help, you get the help. 
That's why we pay taxes. But I hate paying taxes for people that are just too lazy. And I hate paying taxes to give money to illegals when we have veterans sleeping in the streets. I mean, that makes me angry. And we have little kids living in the streets. That just, that just makes me mad. I don't know whether it does you. But that's the world we live in. And the reason that's happening is because they want votes. They don't care about anything else. They just want votes. Because if they get enough of these people here and give them the right to vote, there will never be another conservative elected to office. Never. So that's why it scares me so bad. And that's why I talk about it a lot. Because I can see the future in that aspect. And we need to start doing something about it now. Because otherwise, I guarantee it, you're going to live in a country that you won't recognize. I hardly recognize it now. But it won't be a country you like. And there won't be any jobs, and everybody will be in food lines because the government wants to control every aspect of our life. They want to control our health care. They want to control our food. They want to control what you can do for a job. They want to control everything. And pretty soon they'll be controlling how long you get to live. Right. I mean, we're right now, we're, what do they call it, infanticide? Where they passed that law where you can kill a baby up to birth? Up to nine months they can kill a baby legally? I mean, man, that just makes me so mad, I just like to go punch somebody. And they passed that law in New York. And then they celebrated it by lighting up the towers with pink to celebrate a woman's right to choose. Well, what about the baby's right to choose? They have no choice. And if the baby happens to be born alive, then the mother gets a choice. Do you want to continue the abortion, or would you like the baby to live? They'll make the baby comfortable while, while you're deciding. I mean, did you ever think you'd live to see that? I never thought I'd ever live to see the day when a mother could do that to their own child to a baby that's been forming in, its, in their womb for so many months and then decide it's inconvenient. We are offering our babies on the, on the, to the idle Morlech or convenience, whatever you want to call him. They did that in the, in the Old Testament. They sacrificed their babies to their idols. And that was just horrifying to me. But they thought it was okay to do that. And now we have a society that thinks it's okay to kill our babies no matter how far along the mother is. And that sickens me to the core. And it makes me angry. And you say, well, we're not supposed to get angry. Yes, we are. I can get angry at the things that God is angry about. And that's one thing God is angry about. He says, suffer the little ones to come unto me. And woe is to anyone that hurts the little one. Woe is to them. So there's going to be a great judgment day for some of these people. And I'd hate to be in their shoes when they have to stand before God and the books are opened and all those babies they're murdered come to life. I ain't come to life. Of course, they're safe in, in heaven. I mean, the babies are okay now because now they're in the arms of Jesus. But man, I'll tell you, that just irritates me. So I, we can get angry. It would, anger's God. 
Hebrews 12, 7. Endure hardships as discipline. See, there's no shortcut to personal physical condition, and there's no shortcut to peak spiritual condition. It's hard. If you want to have a good body, it's hard. You're going to have to do the work. And sometimes it means getting up early in the morning. I used to get up 4 o'clock in the morning just so I could go to the pool and swim a mile. I liked that early in the morning because there was hardly anybody there. And I could get a whole lane all to myself just to swim laps. But it was hard getting up 4 o'clock in the morning for what? Just to go swim and then come back home? I just soon slept in. But I needed, I had to do something to keep myself active. Because if I didn't, if I didn't keep myself active, I'd be in a wheelchair. And I refused to do that. If I have to crawl, I'll, I'll do what I need to do to not, to not end up there with God's help. But we have to endure hardships. Not quit. The first hard thing comes along. The word discipline has become a dirty word in our culture. Oh, if you don't want to do it, it's okay. Have that extra cup of coffee. Have that extra donut. Who cares if you weigh 400 pounds? We'll take care of you because you're too heavy to get out of bed. No. We need to start taking... um, Power over our lives and make the decision. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't happen, matter what happens to me as a believer. I'm still going to serve God, no matter what happens. I made that decision a long, long time ago. And I don't have to make it every day. When you've already decided, I have decided, I've made up my mind. I'm going to serve God. Doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to do that. And we need to make that commitment and to it. Tom Lanley, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Most of us want to win, but we don't want to suffer. If I taught you that all you had to do to make heaven is just show up at church and put some money in the offering plate, and that's what I taught week after week after week, this church would be full. Because that's the life people want. I want something that's easy. The third trait of a Super Bowl Christian is commitment. To form at the highest level, we have to be focused and committed. Philippians 3.14, wherever I ended up being in that thing, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. We need to press on to win the prize. We don't sit on the couch with a remote to win the prize. we got to get out there and do something and press on and work hard in order to do that. Now, Paul was focused and committed to winning his Super Bowl, and he never gave up. If you read and follow his life, you know he never gave up. Vince Lombardi said, The quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence, regardless of their chosen field of endeavor. Once a man has made a commitment to a way of life, he puts the greatest strength in the world behind him. It's something we call heart power. Once a man had, has made this commitment, nothing will stop him short of success. 
1998, quarterback Tony Rice led NFL's football team to a national championship. Before the season, the sports writer wondered whether Notre Dame could beat a tough team with a quarterback like Rice, whose passing was often inaccurate. They didn't know that coach Lou Holtz had brought, bought Rice a dartboard and told him to practice throwing darts an hour a day. Rice didn't see how that would help him passing, but he did as his coach said. He was committed and focused. Soon he began to throw passes with more accuracy and confidence, both of which were in evidenced in a banner season. Some things sometimes don't make any sense, but if we're focused and we're disciplined and we're committed, we can do it. We can do anything. The fourth trait of a Super Bowl Christian is sacrifice. Hebrews 12.1. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Again, Vince Lombardi. He was a very great man. That's why they named that trophy after him, because he was a winning coach, and he had, was full of wisdom. He said, success is, is like anything worthwhile. It has a price. You have to pay the price to win, and you have to pay the price to get to the point where success is possible. Most important, you must pay the price to stay there. Football is a great deal like life in that it teaches that work, sacrifice, perseverance, and competitive competitive drive, selflessness, and respect for authority is the prize that everyone, each and every one of us must pay to achieve any goal that is worthwhile. A super old Christian will sacrifice, give up pet sins, and do what's right, no matter what the consequences. And like the, the Super Bowl Christian, like the Super Bowl athlete, continually trains and sacrifices. There's no off-season for a Super Bowl-themed uh, player. They train year-round. If they don't, it's hard for them to get in shape in training camp. And we as believers have to train year-round. There's no off-season. The only off-season we have is when we step into glory. That's the only off-season we look forward to. But here, we're going to have to every day make that decision to persevere and commit and focus on what we want. Because the goal line is right there. I can almost taste it. The fifth trait of a Super Bowl Christian is character. Charles Reed, English novelist and dramatist, wrote, Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Every successful Super Bowl team has a game plan and integrates all the elements of training into that game. And character, of course, for a Christian is Christ-likeness. Right. We teach that a lot. To be like Christ. What is it? It's trying to be like Christ. What would Jesus do in every aspect of our life? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus think? And we try to mold ourselves in that direction. Philippians 3.10 I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his suffering and becoming like him. Paul was killed by a Roman sword, but in his last breath, he crossed that goal line into glory. And he got a crown. He had won his Super Bowl. And he got more than a prize. He got a crown. He got all kinds of rewards placed upon him. But it didn't matter because all he wanted to be is with Jesus. 
That was his greatest desire. That was his goal, to be like him. Oh, to be like Jesus, just to be like him. Nothing else matters than that. And when we have that focus and desire and drive, then we can win this life that we're in as we live as, as a Super Bowl Christian. In a few hours, two teams will face off for 15 minutes, moving a football up and down the field. It really doesn't have any significance other than, you know, gives us something to root for, gives us entertainment for a while. But other than that, it really doesn't change anything. It doesn't, my life isn't going to be any different tomorrow, no matter who wins the Super Bowl today. It isn't going to matter next year. Because I'm not in that Super Bowl. I'm in my own Super Bowl. And I'm struggling to work and to strive to win it. A trophy will be presented. Rick's rings will be won. Cash will be given. Glory will be stowed. And one team will have bragging rights for another year. They only get those rights for a year. But as a Super Bowl Christian, we get those rights for eternity. Only we won't be bragging about them. Because we won't care how many crowns we get. How many jewels are on that crown? We won't care. All we'll care about is where is Jesus? I want to be Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Because that is our ultimate prize. That's what we're striving for. I'm not striving for a crown. I'm striving to be with Jesus. The crown is just something extra. And that crown, one crown is everlasting life. Now, 30 teams didn't make it this far. And one team will lose today. But we don't have to lose our own Super Bowl if we just keep on keeping on. We'll be playing for eternal wars that will last eternity. Do we have the desire, discipline, commitment, character, and willingness to sacrifice? If we do, we'll have an eternal crown when we cross into glory. Amen? Let's pray. Our precious Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to be here. I'm thankful, Lord, for your death on the cross because without your death, Lord, we have no hope. Lord, and everything in this world has no meaning. So I'm thankful for that most of all. Lord, and I'm thankful, Lord, that, that you pulled us out of a life of sin and changed our hearts, Lord, and, and are molding us into something that you want us to be. Lord, and I thank you for that, even though I don't like it all the time. From the things that happened, Lord, I understand that you're just trying to mold me into what you want me to be, Lord, so I thank you for that. I thank you that you love me enough to discipline me and to speak in my ear and teach me the things I need to know. But, Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know that, I ask, Lord, to make that decision for you right now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.